Welcome to Policy for the People, a show that explores the public policies that can lift up all Oregonians. This show is a collaboration between KMUZ Radio and the Oregon Center for Public Policy. I am your host, Ken Adams. This morning, we're going to be talking about the COVID-19 crisis here in Oregon and in the midst of another crisis, the housing crisis. For a while, many Oregonians have been struggling to keep up with the cost of housing, putting families at risk of eviction. The Oregon Center for Public Policy recently published a commentary titled, Want People to Stay Housed? Help Them Pay Their Rent. The author of that piece is OCPP policy analyst Daniel Hauser, and he's with me today. We'll be discussing Oregon's housing crisis, particularly the crisis facing renters and how we can solve it. Good morning, Daniel. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, Daniel, when some people hear the term the housing crisis, the image that comes to their minds might be the homeless person or an encampment that have cropped up in cities. But that's just one aspect of the crisis, right? Yeah, that's right. Homelessness is the most extreme outcome of the housing crisis, the most brutal form it takes. Um, But the crisis has many faces. I mean, when we're talking about a housing crisis, this term includes homelessness, but also everyone who's struggling to keep a roof over heads. Um, This includes young families who are having to put rent on a credit card, seniors who are skipping needed medications to ensure they have a place to sleep at night, and many, many other Oregonians who are just really struggling to get by. About how many Oregonians are struggling to pay for housing? You know, I think it's important that we first start with like a benchmark of like how we define struggling to pay for housing. Um, the Department of Housing and Urban Development, the federal housing um, agency that governs a lot of this stuff, defines households that spend 30% or more of their income on housing costs as being cost burdened. And by de- devoting that much of their income towards housing, these households often have difficulty affording other basic necessities such as food, clothing, transportation, or medical care. And in the lead-up to the pandemic, we had about one-third of all Oregon households who met this definition of being cost-burdened. That means that about one-third of Oregon households were spending more than 30% of their income on just housing costs. And there's another even deeper level of housing insecurity called severely cost-burdened. These are households that spend over half of their income on housing. And for some of us, it may be hard to imagine that half of every single paycheck you receive going towards your housing, leaving half for everything else, right? The same food, transportation, health care, you know, child care necessities that I mentioned before. And yet about 15% of all Oregon households were in that situation prior to the pandemic. Well, this might sound obvious, but families in that situation must be under a tremendous amount of stress. Uh, any little mishap can sink you and and basically get you evicted. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, families weighed down by housing costs may look to save money by skipping meals, visits to the doctor, or foregoing other essentials. You know, they know that a missed rent payment can lead to eviction, and in the worst of cases, ending up in the street. Other uh, reporting recently by the Oregonian, actually it was a couple of years ago, highlighted the impact of evictions on children, and it was just heartbreaking. I mean, one of the stories in the series reported on how evictions forced children to change schools multiple times during a single school year, leaving a heavy toll on these children, um, both emotionally and academically. It's incredibly hard to form relationships uh, over a couple weeks and then be transplanted to another spot and have to do that in a situation where your home life is so unstable. Um, it's it's really you know not a shock that this really damages these children's economic success and academic success. 
Now, one would assume that being housing insecure is correlated with low income. Is that a correct assumption? And are there other correlations one can point to? Yeah, that's correct. Low-income households, and especially very low-income households, are more likely to be severely cost-burdened and trying to afford their housing. You know, another thing to point out, which may, you know, be obvious already from what we've been discussing, is that housing insecurity is more common among renters as opposed to homeowners. Prior to the pandemic, about half of all renters met the definition of being cost-burdened. That's about twice the rate as that of homeowners. So while there are definitely a lot of homeowners who are struggling to pay their mortgages, certainly a larger share of renters struggling to pay the rent. And so if you put these facts together, we find that nearly 9 in 10 Oregon renter households who make less than $20,000 a year are cost burdened. And so that's, you know, 90% of low income, um, you know, Oregon renters uh, are, are cost burdened and are struggling to afford their necessities. I'm glad you asked about other correlations because there are really serious racial disparities when it comes to who is housing insecure. I mean, driven by racist and discriminatory policy choices past and present, Oregonians of color tend to have significantly lower incomes, which, as we discussed, puts you to greater risk of not being able to afford housing. And there's also a long history of discriminatory housing policies that have put barriers in the way of black, indigenous, and other people of color owning homes in Oregon, leaving them much more likely to be renters. And there's actually, um, you know, three examples that often come to mind for me when thinking about how policy choices in our past and and today uh, impact um, the sort of racial distribution of being renters and homeowners. And the first going, you know, hearkening quite a ways back is the Donation Land Claim Act. Uh, This is something that Congress passed in the mid-1800s, and it made it to where um, white settlers moving to Oregon would be able to receive a particular, like, plot of land. And and um, this act explicitly excluded black Americans and Native Hawaiians, uh, historians recounting. The act was an affirmative action program for Anglo-American settlers. And so that's kind of a, you know one example that harkens way back to Oregon's founding. Another recent is redlining. Right In the early part of the 20th century, most Americans did not own their home. There are no 30-year mortgages insured by the government or anything like that. If you wanted to buy a house, you usually had to put down about half the cost of the home, which put it out of reach for so, so many people. And home loans were relatively short in duration, just a few years. And this all began to change in response to the Great Depression. Uh, the Roosevelt administration passed a number of, of pieces of the New Deal, uh, one of which established the Federal Housing Administration, uh, who began insuring mortgages, right, creating the foundation for our current market, which features relatively low-interest home loans with much smaller down payments. And you might be thinking, you know, how does this relate to racial disparities? Um, the reality is, is that the FHA uh, worked mainly and, and almost entirely only for white Americans, not for people of color. Uh, among other things, the FHA refused to insure mortgages in minority neighborhoods. Uh, and they actually had, you know, taken out a, a red marker and drew lines around minority uh, neighborhoods and, and refused to insure and support mortgages you know, in those neighborhoods. And that's why they call it redlining. Uh, so even though Congress finally barred this practice um, in the late 1960s, its discriminatory effects linger. And in many cities around the nation, um, you're actually able to kind of still identify, you know, where, where areas were redlined by the impacts on housing values. And the final example I'll give is um, subprime lending. So in the years just before the Great Recession, banks steered a lot of black and Latino borrowers 
to more expensive and risky subprime loans, even when those borrowers could have qualified for traditional mortgages with better loan terms. And so when the subprime market imploded and brought down the economy, many black and Latino families lost their homes and their largest sources of wealth. And sadly, these, I mean, these are just a few of the examples of how racist policies and practices have made it less likely that Oregonians of color own a home. Or stated another way, how public policy and racist attitudes have left Oregonians of color with less wealth, less income, and steered them to the rental market. And while Oregonians of all races suffer from housing costs being too high, the data definitely confirms that Oregonians of color are more likely to be severely cost burdened. So black Oregonians, just let me just share a few statistics from our recent research that we found. Um, black Oregonians are more than twice as likely to be severely cost burdened renter as their share of the population would predict in Oregon. Latino Oregonians are about 13% of Oregon's population, but make up one in five of Oregon's severely cost burdened renters, 20%. And yet, you know, even considering that, white Oregonians are still about two-thirds of really cost-burden renters in Oregon. So if we add all this data up, all of these policies and past practices, we see that for, um, for all Oregonians, be they black, brown, or white, the burden uh, is significant. Um, from housing, lots of people are struggling to afford the rent. But it is a disproportionate burden placed on families of color. We're taking this short break to invite you to subscribe to our podcast for free. Find Policy for the People on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Now, back to the show. Well, Daniel, I'm kind of glad you brought up redlining and gave a definition and how it started, because I think a lot of people hear about it but don't really understand how it started and and what the impact um, turned out to be. And so, but I would imagine the pandemic has really impacted housing security. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, if anything, thrown fuel on an already raging fire. The economic crash triggered by the pandemic hit many families that were already struggling to survive. And although the economy is on the rebound, uh, it's clear that many families, and particularly low-income families and families of color, are still hurting. You know, a, stub- a study was published in February by Portland State University said that about 90,000 Oregon households owed back rent. Um, and other research indicates this back rent in Oregon alone totals hundreds of millions of dollars. And the only reason why the housing crisis hasn't been much worse is because both federal and state governments have put in place eviction and foreclosure moratoriums during the pandemic. I mean, the Oregon legislature is currently you know, still considering a bill that would give people more time and more support to pay their back rent as these moratoriums expire later this year. And it's an important policy to ensure that it, there isn't an eviction you know, tsunami waiting just on the other side of the evictorium expiring. So uh, in the recent piece that you wrote, you say that the key part of the solution to the housing crisis is rent assistance. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I mean, in, in many ways, housing insecurity boils down to people not having enough money to pay the rent, to just help people pay the rent. Um, we don't you know, always need to overcomplicate things. At its core, people can't afford to pay their rent. And rent assistance can take many forms, uh, and perhaps the best-known one is the federal program called Housing Choice Vouchers, or Section 8 Vouchers is how they you know, were previously known. They work by requiring a renter to pay 30% of their income towards rent, so they wouldn't be cost-burdened or severely cost-burdened. And then the voucher will cover the rest of the rent up to a limit that varies for different cities and different neighborhoods. And the research on housing vouchers shows that they work, that they're very effective at their mission, which is to keep families housed. And not only do they work, they work quickly. You know, it really allows someone to stay in their residence if they lose their job or have other 
uh, income detriments. And it also really helps people find stable housing. And there are lots of other you know, downstream benefits as well. Those who receive rent assistance tend to have lower rates of poverty and hunger than similar renters who do not. They also tend to be healthier, both physically and mentally, and the impacts are even larger for children. Research has shown that when families with children use vouchers to move to better neighborhoods, the kids actually have higher likelihoods of attending college, they earn more income, and they're less likely to be incarcerated as adults. And many of those benefits are actually even larger uh, for children of color. So if rent assistance or these vouchers work, why is housing insecurity so prevalent? Quite simply, rent assistance is too scarce. There are not nearly enough vouchers to support the existing need. Right now, the Federal Housing Voucher Program helps about 74,000 Oregonians, but there are more than 300,000 Oregonians who are severely cost-burdened and could use this support to stay stably housed. Many families have to wait years on a waiting list to get a housing voucher, or they never even get one at all. And every day that a family needs a voucher but doesn't receive one is a missed opportunity to help build a better future for our communities and for that family's children. Is there an effort in Congress or the current administration to make rent assistance more widely available? Yes. There have been a number of proposals in recent years to expand access to housing vouchers. More recently, the Biden administration's 2022 budget would add about 200,000 more vouchers nationwide. That's progress, um, but it's far too little. You know, Congress and the administration must really ramp up that investment uh, and add millions more vouchers around the country. I mean, we need 200,000 more vouchers in Oregon, right, <laughs> not just nationally. And really, we should go much further and make affordable housing a universal reality for everyone in our communities. Congress could treat housing vouchers like they do other standard universal programs like health care and food assistance. If anyone pays more than 30% of their income in rent, the federal government should cover the remainder. This would ensure everyone in our communities would have access to affordable and stable housing. And it also has the perk of scaling when there's you know, uh, economic disasters. Right? If we had this as a universal program, uh, when the pandemic hit, people would have been able to access support to stay, to stay housed quickly without having to have Congress pass new legislation to create new programs. What about Oregon's legislature? Is there a role the state can play when it comes to rent assistance? Yeah, definitely. The state should be devoting a lot more resources to rent assistance, too. Uh, We shouldn't expect the federal government to um, solve all of our problems. And although they have an important role and and need to be the largest player in this uh, realm of providing rent assistance, the state also has a role. And right now, the state has some small rent assistance programs that help some specific populations, such as people suffering from severe mental illnesses. These are and, and these are important and valuable investments, but Oregon should be doing much more. And there is a bill, uh, a narrow bill, moving through the state house that would invest about four and a half million dollars into a voucher program to provide long-term rent assistance to renters in a few communities around the state. And while this is a step in the right direction, just like with the congressional proposals, lawmakers in Salem should be investing far more resources into rent assistance. The needs much larger than that. So establishing a more robust rent assistance program presumably would cost a fair amount of money. How would the state pay for it? Yeah, there are a variety of potential ways we could fund a rent assistance program in Oregon. Um, One option uh, connecting it to our current housing spending is to reform Oregon's largest housing subsidy, the mortgage interest deduction. 
if we just cut this tax break off for the richest 5% of Oregonians and only let folks use it on the home they mainly live in and not a vacation home, we could free up about $100 million every year. And these are resources that could make an immense difference in providing rent assistance to thousands of Oregonians around the state. And in fact, there's a bill to do just that. And actually had a hearing in the Senate Finance Committee yesterday uh, on May 13th. And so we're hopeful that lawmakers will act on this legislation and really bring, like I said, $100 million every year to support people um, staying stably housed rather than uh, you know, leaving it as a, a tax subsidy for people who are making you know, more than $250,000 every year. So is there anything that I we haven't discussed that you would like to bring up at this point? Yeah, I think it's important to keep in mind that while Oregon's housing crisis you know, is indeed a crisis, it's a big problem, it's also the case that we know the solution. Right? We know how to fix this. And if we want to solve it, we need to be doing what the research shows works. There are a variety of investments, including emergency housing support, expanding and preserving access to affordable housing properties, and housing choice vouchers, rental vouchers that we know are effective means of expanding access to and keeping people stably housed. And we need to invest far more into these programs. And I'd encourage your listeners to contact their state and federal representatives and let them know. Make sure they know how important addressing the housing crisis is. And that investing in rent assistance, investing in adding more vouchers is the right thing to do. Well, Daniel, I want to thank you for sharing your thoughts on the crisis, the housing crisis, which I think is going to um, be very problematic in the near future when those evictions start kicking in, uh, when people no longer have protection. So thank you very much. Absolutely. Daniel Hauser, Oregon Center for Public Policy. Thank you for listening to Policy for the People. Please remember to subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite app.